This is Case Closed, crime stories from the golden age of radio. This is Case Closed. Welcome back. Thanks for joining me this Wednesday. Our hour of crime begins with Sherlock Holmes this week. We'll hear the adventure of the dying detective from February 3rd, 1949. After that, it's the epic casebook, An Antithesis of Life. That story aired September 11th, 1969. Kremel Hair Tonic and Kremel Shampoo present the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes, starring Nigel Bruce as Dr. Watson and Tom Conway as Sherlock Holmes. Now, once again, we find ourselves in Dr. Watson's comfortable book-lined study. A blazing log crackles cheerily on the hearth. A cordial smile of welcome beams on the good doctor's friendly countenance. Well, good evening, Mr. Bell. Sit down, sit down. Thank you. Ah, it isn't often you find such a perfect combination as this. Cozy room, cheerful fire, comfortable armchair. Not to mention an expert storyteller. Uh, thank you, Mr. Bell. You're very kind. A setup like this takes your mind off your worries and troubles. So don't be surprised if I just sit back and relax and let you carry on. Well, that's what I'm here for. I've always said there's nothing like a good detective story for mental recreation. Most of our great men of affairs have been addicted to them, you know. Presidents, prime ministers, scientists, and businessmen. And the Sherlock Holmes adventures still head the list of all detective stories. What's it going to be tonight? Well, tonight, as I said last week, I'm going to tell you about the greatest shock that Sherlock Holmes ever gave me. The greatest shock? It must have been some voltage. You'll, you'll find that out, Mr. Bell, as soon as you've had your little talk with our listeners. <laughs> of course. Men, well-groomed hair helps so much in giving a man that prosperous, clean-cut appearance. And I'm sure you'll be interested to hear why Kremel hair tonic is preferred among America's top flight executives by men at the top. Kremel never plasters the hair down with sticky goo, which makes your hair and scalp feel so dirty. It never gives hair that old-fashioned, greasy, patent leather look. You see, Kremel is a very highly specialized hair tonic. It contains a unique and utterly different combination of hair grooming ingredients that's never been duplicated in any other hair tonic. That's why Kremel keeps unruly hair so neatly in place longer with such a handsome, healthy-looking luster. What I especially like about Kremel is that after you use it, you can run your hand back over your hair and your hair never feels sticky or dirty. No greasy film comes off on your hand or your hatband. Yet Kremel keeps hair in perfect order from morning till night, looking so healthy and handsome. K-R-E-M-L, Kremel Hair Tonic. Now, Dr. Watson, how about the greatest shock Sherlock Holmes ever gave you? Well, it was in the second year of my married life. I haven't seen Holmes for almost a month due to having successfully resumed my medical practice. When one day I received an urgent note from Mrs. Hudson. Mrs. Hudson, she was Holmes' landlady in Baker Street. She certainly was, and a long-suffering woman she was, too. Why she stood for Holmes, I never could fathom. His habits were calculated to try the patience of a saint. Yes, he was easily the worst tenant in London, and yet Mrs. Hudson adored him. A case of the king can do no wrong. Exactly, and yet she stood in the deepest awe of him and never dared interfere, however dangerous his proceedings might seem. So you can imagine my feelings when our note said that Mr. Holmes was in a dreadful state and she considered it serious enough to disobey his commands and to send for me. Well, I snatched my hat and medical case and set out for Baker Street post-haste. A terrified Mrs. Hudson greeted me on the doorstep. Her face stained with tears. 
Oh, Dr. Watson, thank God you got my note. Come in, sir, come in. Well, Mrs. Hudson, what's up? What's happened to Mr. Holmes? Oh, Dr. Watson, it's terrible just to see him lying there like that. I, I can't stand it any longer. He's breaking my heart. Oh, no, 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 Mrs. Hudson, this won't do you now. Pull yourself together. What's the matter with Mr. Holmes? He's dying. What? Yes, sir. For three days he's been sinking. Hasn't taken a mouthful of food. I, I doubt if he'll last a day out. Well, why didn't you send before me before? He, he wouldn't let me. Oh, you know what he's like, Dr. Watson, when he's got his mind set against anything. Yes, indeed I do. But this morning, when I went in and saw him there, his bones sticking out of his face, his great eyes all bright with fever, and his lips with that awful crust oh, on them, and his hands twitching and twitching, I couldn't stand it any longer. I couldn't stand by and watch him die, could I? I thought to myself, orders or no, I'm sending for you. Yes, I should hope so. So I said to him, but Mr. Holmes, this is an extremity. He didn't say anything. I don't think he even heard me, doctor. He's out of his head most of the time, croaking and moaning to himself. Oh, Dr. Watson, it's a pitiful sight. Poor Mr. No, Holmes. No, 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 perhaps it's not as bad as you think. <laughs> I pray heaven it's not. Well, I'll go up and see what's to be done. Oh, yes, sir. But I'm afraid he's not long for this world. Poor Mr. Now, now, Mrs. Hudson, you pull yourself together. He mustn't know how you feel about him. It'd upset him. He hates to be pitied. I'd, uh, I'd better go in alone. Yes, sir. Holmes? I say, Holmes? I, I doubt if he can hear you, sir. you better go right in. Very well. Oh. Oh. Good heavens. He is sick. Oh, Dr. Watson, you must save him. Shh, Mrs. Hudson, you, you stay outside. Running round and round, mister. Faster, faster. He's catching up to him. Holmes. Holmes, old fellow, it's me. Eh? Holmes, it's me, Watson. Don't you know me? Watson? Watson? Oh, yes. I seem to remember. Watson, of course. So she sent for you after all. I... I wondered how long she could hold out. Holmes! Uh, my poor fellow! Yes, we seem to have fallen on evil days. Hey, Watson? Never thought you'd see me in this shape, did you? Oh, I all bear at your funeral, and now look at me. <laughs> it's, it's all right, old chap. We'll fix you up. Have you about again in no time. Just let me take your pulse. Uh, stand back, Watson, stand back. If you value your life, don't touch me. Don't touch me. But why? Because I was to wish it. Isn't that enough? Well, I only wanted to help. Then do as I say. I, I know what's wrong with me. I, I'm the only man in London who does it. It's a terrible disease and contagious. That's it, Watson. Contagious. By touch. So keep your distance or you'll catch it, too. Great heavens, Holmes. Do you suppose that matters to me at a time like this? It wouldn't affect me in the case of a stranger. Do you imagine it prevent me from doing my duty to, to my best friend? Stand back, Watson. It's out of your power. You could do nothing. If you stand where you are, I'll talk you. You mustn't excite me. It, it might be fatal. Very well. I must, but uh, what is this sickness? A colic disease from Sumatra. Only a few men understand it. I, I contracted it down along the docks from the Oriental sailors. I've been doing some recent research down there. It had a medical criminal aspect. Very interesting, Watson. Very interesting. Asiatic diseases. Asiatic cruelty. Strange pathological possibilities. But water doesn't run uphill. It's funny, eh, hey, Watson? Water? You, you can't write in water. I've tried. I, I've tried, but you, what would you come? Holmes, you're not yourself. 
A sick man is like a child. You could be master elsewhere, but when it comes to the sick room, it's time for me to take charge. I'm going to examine your symptoms and treat you. Stop it. If I've got to have a doctor, at least get me one I can trust. Holmes, don't you trust me? As a friend, certainly, but facts are facts. You're just a general practitioner of not very much knowledge or experience and very often muddled. Yes, decidedly muddled. Holmes, that remark is unworthy of you. It shows the state of your nerves. Very well. What do you know about Tapanuli fever? Or the black form of the corruption? Well, I've never heard of either of them. You see? Very well, let me call in Dr. Ainstry. He's the greatest living authority on tropical diseases. And he happens to be in London now. I can get him here inside half an hour if you'll just... No, no, I won't have him. I won't have him. I'm the one who's sick. I'll be cured my way or not at all. There's only one man who can save me. Oh. oh, dear, I, I'm exhausted. I wonder how Battery feels when it pours electricity into a non-conductor. Holmes. Holmes, you're wandering again. Let me at least pour you a glass of water. What a mess this table is in. Don't want water. Give me the moon. Hello? What's this curious little ivory box? I've never seen that before. Don't touch it, Watson. Don't touch it. But, Holmes... It's mine. I won't have it touched. Give it to me. Handle it with tongs like this. Ah. That's better. It's mine. Yeah. Mine. Holmes, Holmes. Get back into bed this instant. And, and give me that box. No, no, you can't have it. It's, it's mine. I'm going to take it to bed with me. It's mine. My own little ivory box. Nobody shall take it from me. Very well. Now, now. Keep covered up. Uh, that's better. You'll kill yourself if you aren't careful. Watson. I say, Watson. Yes? Have you any change in your pocket? Yes. Any silver? A good deal. How many half crowns? Half crowns, One, two, three, five. Not enough, Watson, not enough. However, they'll have to do. Place them in your watch pocket, Watson. Well? Now... Put the rest of your money in your left-hand trousers pocket. Hmm? Thank you. Yes, but why? It will balance you so much better that way. Holmes, this is the end. You're wondering. You're delirious. I'm going to get Ainsley or, or the man you mentioned. I don't care which. Very well. If you must, let it be Mr. Calverton Smith. Calverton Smith? I never heard of him. Possibly not, Watson. It may surprise you to know that the only man on earth who understands this disease isn't a medical man. He's a planter. A planter? Yes, millionaire rubber planter. An outbreak of this malady on his plantation in Sumatra caused him to study the disease. He's now in London. Good. What's his address? 13 Lower Burke Street. 13 Lower Burke Street. Very well. I'll fetch him at once. I warn you, he may not come. There's... No good feeling between us. His his nephew died, you see, Watson. I I had suspicions of foul play. I, I told his uncle so. The boy died horribly. You must soften him, Watson. Describe my condition. Be beg him. Pray him. Get him here by any means. He, he's the only one who can save me. You will bring him to me, Watson. Don't worry, old fellow. I'll bring him here and have to knock him unconscious to do it. No, you must persuade him to come. But be sure to return ahead of him. Not with him, Watson. Ahead of him, you understand? Very well. It's vital, Watson, vital. One thing more. Yes? I'm worried about oysters, Watson. What? They're so Why prolific. oysters? They're so prolific. 
pretty soon the world will be overrun by oysters. Oh, Holmes, you're off again. It was I. <laughs> Strange how the brain controls the brain. You still here, Watson? I, I thought you'd gone long ago. Well, I'm going at once. I'll be back in no time. If you want anything, ring for Mrs. Hutz. First, the ocean will be overrun with millions of them, millions of oysters. Oh, Dr. Watson, how is he? Here's Mr. Listrad of Scotland Yard. He dropped in to inquire about Mr. Holmes. Hello, Dr. Watson. How do things stand? How's the old boy? He's a very sick man, I'm afraid, Lestrade. Uh, yes, yes, I heard some rumor to that effect. Lestrade, you're a cold-blooded fish. Uh, possibly. But I think I'll stay around until you return. How about a dish of tea in the back parlor? Hey, Mrs. Hudson. Oh, you. Speaking of tea at a time like this, I'm ashamed of you. With Mr. Holmes lying upstairs practically on his deathbed. All right, I'll bring you a cup. But I hope it chokes you, that I do. Nine... Eleven, thirteen. Ah, here we are. Suppose he's not at home. He must be. He must be. Yes, sir? Is Mr. Carlton Smith in? Yes, sir. Will you take my card in to him at once and tell him it's it's urgent? Yes, sir, but uh, he's in his study working. He don't like to be disturbed. But it's a matter of life and death, don't you understand? I must see him. Here, here. Perhaps uh, this will help. Oh, thank you, sir. I'll do my best. Will you step inside, sir? I'll be a minute. A gentleman to see you, Mr. Smith, sir. Says it's urgent. Who is he? What does he want? Here's his card, sir. Watson? Dr. Watson? I don't know him. How often have I told you, Staples, I'm not to be disturbed when I'm working in my study? But he says he must see you. It's a matter of life and death, he says. Tell him to go to blazes. I'm not at home. I won't see him. Tomorrow morning... Oh, but you must, sir. It can't wait. I won't leave until I've told you What's the whole... What's this? What's the meaning of this intrusion? I said tomorrow, didn't I? I'm sorry, Mr. Smith, but I'm see you now. It's about Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes? Sherlock Holmes, did you say? Yes, I've just come from him. Well, well, what about Holmes? He's desperately ill, dying. That's why I've come to you. Holmes dying? Oh, dear, dear. I'm sorry to hear it. I only know him through some business dealings, of course, but I have a great respect for his talents and his character. You see, he is an amateur of crime, as I am of disease. Uh, for him, the villain. For me, the microbe. Uh, yes, I, I believe my offenders are even more deadly than his. Mr. Smith, it was because of your special knowledge of Eastern diseases that Sherlock Holmes has sent for you. Eastern diseases? Eastern diseases, dear me. Don't tell me that he's contracted some oriental disease. Yes, Mr. Smith. He's been making some professional inquiries on the docks, working among the oriental sailors. Oh, so that's it. Oh, dear, dear. I, I trust the matter is not as grave as you suppose. How long has he been ill? About three days. Uh, delirious? Yes, from time to time. Oh, dear me. This does sound serious. Yes, it would be inhuman not to go to his aid, wouldn't it? The case is certainly exceptional. I'll come with you at once, Dr. Uh, Watson. With me? Well, uh, you see that... Uh, well, I'm afraid I, I can't return with you, sir. I, 
I have some other appointments, uh, uh, patients that I must see. I'll, uh, I'll see you later. Oh, yes, 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 I quite understand. I'll go alone. Oh, yes, that would be better in any case. We must avoid too much excitement, too many people. Uh, yes, Dr. Watson, you can rely on my being with Mr. Holmes within half an hour. <laughs> In just a moment, we'll return to Sherlock Holmes and find out if Mr. Culverton Smith is able to... to cure the detective's strange malady. But first, more and more men today are beginning to realize they should take better care of the hair they've got. Remember, if you want your hair to look healthy and handsome, you need a hygienic scalp. So why settle for just any hairdressing when you can enjoy the extra advantages of Kremel hair tonic? Kremel contains a special combination of hair grooming ingredients which is found in no other hair tonic. This highly specialized hair tonic keeps dry, stubborn hair neatly in place all day long and always gives it such a natural, well-groomed appearance, never sticky or greasy. But men, Kremel does lots more than keep hair looking handsome. A quick massage with Kremel stimulates circulation right in the surface of the scalp, leaving your scalp feeling so alive, so invigorated. At the same time, Kremel removes loose dandruff. It's excellent to lubricate a dry scalp. And if your hair is so dry that it breaks and falls when you comb it, remember Kremel actually helps condition the hair in that it makes it feel softer, more pliable. So men, buy a bottle of Kremel at any drug counter. Ask for an application at your barber shop. Use Kremel to keep your scalp more hygienic, your hair always looking its very best. K-R-E-M-L. Kremel hair tonic. Well, Dr. Watson, I see what you meant by the greatest shock Sherlock Holmes ever gave you. And I can hardly wait to hear the rest of the story. What happened after you'd seen Mr. Culver? Well, I hurried back to Baker Street as fast as I could, just as Holmes had instructed me to. Mrs. Hudson met me at the door. Any change, Mrs. Hudson? Has anything happened while I was gone? No, Dr. Watson. He called me in to light the gas a few minutes ago. He won't have a tap full. He says it hurts his eyes. How did he look? Oh, a little better, I should say. He's awful weak, but he's not delirious anymore. Good, good. Where's Lestrade? Oh, he's about somewhere. Down in the kitchen, annoying the cook, most likely. I never did see such a man for eating. Heartless brute. Well, I'll go up to Mr. Holmes. Here I am, Holmes. Did you see him? Yes, yes, he's coming. Admirable, Watson. Admirable. I knew I could count on you. What did you tell him? I told him about the sailors in the East End and uh, that you were delirious. Quite right. Yes. You can now disappear from the scene. What? I'll do no such thing. I'm going to wait and hear his opinion. So you shall, Watson, so you shall, but not where he can see you. There's no hiding place in the room except the space behind the head of my bed. Suppose you crawl in there. Crawl in there? Watson, I'm a sick man. I must be human. It's got to be behind the bed or not at all. I don't want you discussing the case over my dead, inert body. You can hear what he says perfectly from your hiding place. There he is now. What's it to be, Watson? Behind the bed or out of the room? Oh, very well, if you insist. I'll, I'll wedge myself in there. Not much room in here. Quick, Watson. Quick, if you love me. Oh, it's a tight fit. I can't. I can't move muscle. Good. Don't speak. 
Don't move. Whatever happens, don't budge. Just listen. Listen to every word. Don't move. Don't move. It's a gentleman by the name of Smith, Mr. Holmes. He says you sent for him. It's all right. I understand the case. You can leave us. Yes, sir. So there you are, my fine fellow. Pretty bad fix, eh? Holmes. Holmes, can you hear me? It's me, Smith. You? I... I hardly dared hope you'd come. I should think not. But here I am. Coals of fire, Holmes. Huh? Coals of fire. Very good. Very noble of you. You're the only man who could save me. You realize that, eh? Do you know what is the matter with you? The, the same the same thing that killed your nephew. Yes, dear Victor. He was dead on the fourth day. Strong, hearty fellow he was, too. Surprising that you should both contract such a strange, out-of-the-way disease in the heart of London. A disease, too, of which I had made a special study. Very smart of you to notice that in Victor's case, but rather uncharitable to suggest that it was cause and effect. Oh, I... I, I knew that you did it. Oh, you did, did you? Well, you can't prove it. You've got a fine nerve spreading reports like that about me and then crawling to me for help when you're in trouble. Don't... Don't hold it against me. Let bygones be bygones. I'll put it out of my head. Only cure me and I'll forget it. Forget what? About Victor Savage's death. You were as good as admitted it, but... I'll forget it. I I swear I will. It'll make little difference whether you forget or remember. You'll never see the inside of a witness box. Oh, no. Quite another shape box, my dear Holmes, I assure you. I'm not interested in my nephew anymore. It's you I'm after. So, you think you contracted this disease among the sailors, eh? That's the only way I can account for it. And you think you have brains. Consider yourself smart, don't you? Well, I'm smarter than you are, Mr. Holmes. Think back. Think back. Can't you remember any other way you could have got this thing? I can't think. My mind's gone. For heaven's sake, help me. Yes, I'm going to help you. I want you to understand how this happened to you. I want you to know before you die. Oh, oh terrible. Give me something to stop the pain. I... Oh, so now it's painful, eh? Yes, the natives used to do some squealing toward the end. Now, listen. Can't you remember any unusual incident in your life just before your symptoms began? Uh, No. No, nothing. Something came by post. Remember that? I'm too sick to remember. I'll help you. You hear me? You shall hear me. Uh, Yes, I... Oh, oh, the pain is killing me. You remember a box? A little ivory box. It came by post on Wednesday. Do you remember? Yes, yes. It it had a spring inside. I, I cut myself... It drew blood. It was a joke. That was no joke, you fool. That spring was covered with the germs of this disease. Who asked you to cross my path? You've got what was coming to you. I sent that box and it has killed you. I I remember. The box, the the little ivory box. There it is on the table. Ah, so it is. Yes, by George, the very one. Well, it may as well leave the room in my pocket. Here, Mr. Sherlock Holmes... Here goes your last shred of evidence. You can have it, only save me, save me. Now at last you know the truth. You know I've killed you. You knew so much about the fate of Victor Savage that I've sent you to share it. Now, now what are you going to do? Do, Mr. Sherlock Holmes? Why, now I shall sit here and watch you die. 
I, uh, I can hardly see the, the light. The, turn up the gas. The shadows begin to fall, do they? Very well. I'll turn it up so that I may see you better. There. Uh-huh. And now, is there any other little service I can do for you, my friend? Yes, you can give me a match and a cigarette. You... What's the meaning of this? You're not sick? You've been malingering. You're not sick at all. Not sick, just weak. Yes, the best way to act apart is to be it. I give you my word that for three days I haven't touched food, drink, nor tobacco. It, um, it has been rather irksome. Ah, yes, here are the cigarettes. Ah, that's better. Very much better. I hope it chokes you. I've a mind to do it myself. Not so vindictive, my dear Mr. Smith. I fancy I hear Lestrade step on the stair. When you turned up the light, that was his signal to come and get you. Why, you... Come in, Lestrade, come in. Oh, you've trapped him, Mr. Holmes. Yes, here's your man. You can arrest him. On what charge, may I ask? The murder of one Victor Savage. And the uh, attempted murder of one Sherlock Holmes. Take him away, Lestrade. Take him away. Oh, no, you don't. I'll knock your head in. Look out, Lestrade. It's all right, Mr. Holmes. I've got the handcuffs on him. A nice trap this is, Mr. Sherlock Holmes. It'll bring you to the dock, not me. You asked me to come here to cure you. I was sorry for you, so I came, and now you make charges against me. Insane charges for which you have no proof. My word is as good as yours, Holmes. Remember that? Good heavens, I'd totally forgotten. My dear Watson, a thousand apologies. You can come out now. Uh, about time, too. I'm just about numb, crouching behind there all this time. Uh, Mr. Smith. Allow me to present my witness, Dr. Watson. I'm sure he found your conversation most enlightening. Well, that settles that. Come on, you. Keep moving. Well, now you're pulling my leg. The, the, the spring didn't really prick you, did it, Holmes? No. Uh, well, you see, my dear Watson, uh, a thing you have to understand is that neither you nor Mrs. Hudson are particularly convincing when it comes to acting. So it was necessary to impress you with the reality of my condition in order to obtain results. And then, you may believe that I poo-pooed my your professional ability, but you can put that down as a part of the delirium. I have the highest regard for your talents, both as a doctor and as an historian. Oh, now you're pulling my leg. Look here. You didn't, as I said, really get to prick with that spring, did you? Oh, certainly not. I always handle strange packages with suspicion. Well, what I want to know is how you managed to assume that ghastly appearance. A three days of fasting does not improve anyone's beauty, Watson. For the rest, a bit of Vaseline on the forehead, belladonna on the eye, rouge on the cheekbones, and a crust of beeswax on the lips all produce a rather satisfactory effect. Only, I couldn't afford to let you get too good a look at it. Or take your pulse and temperature. Quite. And now, if you will tell Mrs. Hudson that her invalid has recovered sufficiently to desire large steak with plenty of fried onions... Ah, I've been promising it to myself for hours. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Watson will be back in just a moment to tell us about next week's story. But first, girls, many of those beautiful powers models come out here to Hollywood to become movie stars. And I must say, one can't help but be impressed with their gorgeous, lustrous hair. Now, here's how they keep it so shining bright. Powers models use Cremel Shampoo. This amazingly beautifying shampoo has been especially developed to actually glamour bathe each tiny strand of hair. 
revealing all its natural glossy luster and highlights. Yes, and remember, Cremel shampoo is wonderful for washing children's hair, too. Most emphatically, yes, because there are no harsh caustics or chemicals in Cremel shampoo, and its luxurious active foam thoroughly cleanses the scalp and hair of all loose dandruff, as well as the dirt. Girls, if you could only see how beautiful Powers models hair radiates natural glossy highlights... I'm sure you'd want to try Cremel Shampoo right away. Remember, no other shampoo leaves the hair more shining bright and sparkling clean. Get a bottle at any drug counter. K-R-E-M-L, Cremel Shampoo. Now, Dr. Watson, what about next week? Well, now, next week, I think I'll tell you about the strange case of the persecuted millionaire. Persecuted millionaire? Sounds intriguing, Dr. Watson. It was, Mr. Bell. In fact, I don't believe that Sherlock Holmes and I ever encountered a problem with such a bizarre and such a fantastic solution. Tonight's Sherlock Holmes adventure was dramatized from Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's story, The Dying Detective. The Sherlock Holmes series is produced by Tom McKnight, with original music composed and conducted by Alex Steinert. Nigel Bruce appeared by permission of California Pictures. Tom Conway through the courtesy of Eagle Lion Pictures. This is Joseph Bell, speaking for Kremel Hair Tonic and Kremel Shampoo. And inviting you to be with us next week at this same time when Dr. Watson will tell us about the strange case of the persecuted millionaire. of epic pure sunflower oil, purine and pret cooking fat, yum yum peanut butter, maple margarine and niblet's cheese twists present the epic casebook. In which Inspector Carr investigates. Good evening. I remember when I was a young sergeant, keeping more regular hours than I did when I became an inspector, wondering about a shriveled old lady I used to see walking down Vine Street during the winter months. As she would clutch her faded finery against the cold wind, a single ostrich feather would droop from a ridiculous little hat kept on top of her head by means of a hat pin. It seemed intent on tickling her nostril, and now and again she would make abortive efforts to push the feather back in its place. Her shoes were cracked and down at heel, and her hands, blue with cold, would clutch at a shawl that had seen better days. Being young, I began to conjure up fanciful pictures about her, a poor, lonely old woman making for the nearest public house in order to purchase a few coppers' worth of cheap red biddy. Every weeknight, as I emerged from the police station promptly at six... From November through to the end of January, she would be walking towards me. My curiosity became so great that I wanted to speak to her or press a ten-shilling note into her palm. Luckily, I desisted. One day, I saw a picture of her in the newspaper. It told of her death 
and funeral attended by over 900 scientists and research workers from all over the world. She was Professor Mary Sharpleton, and her research and books in the field of genetics is still required reading. She used to come to London to attend the Royal Society lectures during its winter term. A woman oblivious of self, dedicated to the cause of humanity. Ever since then, I've marveled at the devotion and single-mindedness of scientists and sociologists. I mention this because my story tonight concerns the murder of Professor Gustav Schultz. I've called my story The Antithesis of Life. What are you eating? Mm, mm, peanut butter sandwich. Mm, I haven't enjoyed one like this since I was a kid. But they didn't have yum-yum when you were a kid. What's the diff? Peanut butter's peanut butter. There is a difference. I can't bear peanut butter to stick to the roof of my mouth, and yum-yum doesn't. It's extra creamy all the way down the jar. Mm, too smooth. Well, it's been a long time, and I must say it's very nice. Yum-yum has changed peanut butter since most of us were kids. Smooth and creamy from the first patch to the last bit at the bottom of the jar. No wonder little boys, and dads too, enjoy scooping it out by the fingerful. Kids today have everything better, don't they? And there's a four cents off deal on yum-yum peanut butter at all stores. Yippee! Hey, Mom, why don't you buy me some yum-yum tomorrow? At the time he met his death... Professor Schultz was reading a paper at the Royal Society on the relationship between ancient taboos and modern biochemical developments. And so it will be seen that when Freud wrote his book Totems and Taboos, he was so preoccupied with the id and the subconscious that he failed to take into consideration the ever-changing chemical structures within the human psyche. Excuse me, please. Oh, me here. Let me do it for you, Professor. There we are. Done, should. Good heavens! The professor seems to have suffered a heart attack. But it was not a heart attack in the accepted medical sense. His heart gave out all right. Professor Schultz died from swallowing a lethal dose of poison. Professor Wilson, who presided over the proceedings, realized what had happened almost immediately. He communicated with the police. His was the solitary figure as I arrived at the hall. Inspector Carr, Scotland Yard. Oh, thank goodness you're here. I didn't know what to do for the best. Poor Schultz. I decided to send everyone back to their place of residence. There are 75 delegates attending this Congress, most of them from overseas. I did not convey to them my suspicions that Professor Schultz had been murdered. I thought it prudent to be equivocal. 
So please, please, gentlemen, do not come forward. As you can see, Professor Schultz has been taken seriously ill. Now, there are only five more pages to his thesis. Copies of his paper will be distributed to you all at tomorrow morning session. Professor Marchbanks, would you please give me a hand? As you see, Professor Schultz is slightly built. Marchbanks and I had no difficulty in carrying his body to the antechamber. According to the statement you gave over the telephone, you say that this gentleman sipped at a glass of water and slumped forward. There were immediate symptoms that the water contained poison? Oh, no question about it. As you'll see when you look at the body, it was fortunate that the platform is some eight feet away from the first row of seats. Why fortunate, Professor? The delegates could not see Schultz's face as he slumped forward. It, it might have caused some sort of panic. Oh. Certainly the fact that a murder has been committed at the Royal Society and that the victim was the eminent Professor Gustav Schultz would have been broadcast all over the world. If you're correct in your diagnosis, and I would not question it for one second, Professor Wilson, the Society is in for a spate of publicity. I mean, it isn't often that murder... Oh, that's occurs. just it, Inspector. Does the news of the murder have to leak out? These things can never be kept secret. Professor Marchbanks is at this very moment telephoning Germany, notifying Frau Schultz that her husband has collapsed and died. If we can keep it from the public until we've found out how the poison got into that glass, I'd be grateful. Well, I can understand your concern for the good name of the society and that the dignified proceedings of your Congress should not be unduly disturbed. Good heavens, it isn't that, Inspector. Just that as President of the Royal Society and at the same time as your most obvious suspect... Oh, just a minute... Why do you say my most obvious suspect? Well, I've told you. I was the one that poured that water from the jug into the glass and handed it to him. Frankly, I'm concerned for the dignity and reputation of the Royal Society and, more selfishly, my own position. I've heard of your work, Inspector, and I'm hoping and praying that before news of this murder leaks out, you'll have apprehended the monster who caused Professor Schultz's death. That's why I asked everyone to leave, including the caretaker. Mm-hmm. I take it you've examined the jug and the glass containing the poison? Yes, Inspector, if you'll come with me. Professor Wilson and I left the Congress Hall and walked towards the antechamber. Coming towards us was a short, rotund, middle-aged man in his early fifties. He was as unlike a scientist as one could possibly imagine. Yet it was the famous Professor Marchbanks, responsible for the Marchbanks theory into the materialist conception of medical history. I've broken the news to Frau Schultz. She wanted to know the cause of her husband's death. I evaded a direct answer by saying that we wouldn't know until the autopsy had been held. Are you from the police, sir? Uh, this is Inspector Carr, Professor Marchbanks. Oh, how do you do, Inspector? Mm, terrible business. To happen here, of all places. How do you know, Professor? I'm uh, about to show the inspector the body. What a terrible word. Now, what have you done with the jug and the glass? I placed them in the anteroom, knowing how vital they'll be to your inquiries. Have you told the inspector about the slight contretemps over the agenda? No, I was about to. Uh, what was that? Well, Marchbanks and I were responsible for drawing up the agenda. There was a cocktail party last night, a traditional event on the eve of our annual congress. Ah, Professor Wilson... May I have a word with you, please? Uh, good night, Professor Marshbanks. Oh, good evening, Professor Schultz. Oh, I 
certainly, but will you... No, 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 no. It concerns Professor Marshbanks. You two constitute, how you say, the, the steering committee, no? Yes, Professor. Oh, by the way, how do you find your hotel? Adequate? Let us not indulge in trivialities. I see that you have down here a Professor Henderson to speak at nine o'clock and... I will read my paper at 11 after the tea recess, no? Yes, that's right. March Banks and I thought... No. Uh, but why? Have you not read his critique of my book? The man is a charlatan. He claims to a scholarship he does not possess. Only in this country could Henderson become professor. They reprinted his article in Der Spiegel. Now, in my country, I was made... Before you go on, Professor Schultz, Norman Henderson happens to be my son-in-law. There's no more gifted man in his field. You're questioning either his integrity or his qualification. If he speaks first, it means we are both on the platform together tomorrow evening. I mean, uh, tomorrow morning. Now, this I will not tolerate. I've already written to the association expressing my disgust at, at such cheap scientific journalism. Now, look here. Henderson's not only Wilson's son-in-law, he's a dear friend of mine. And I'm not going to stand here listening oh, to you running... March, Banks. You're right, Professor Schultz. I don't want the Congress to start on an acrimonious note. I'll get a new agenda runoff. You may read your paper first thing tomorrow morning. Expected this morning to have a slightly charged atmosphere. I wasn't prepared for what did happen, though. I'm sure you weren't. Should we go in? Yes, certainly. It's just here. I took the precaution of locking the door just in case the murderer was still lurking in the building. You know, I cannot pretend that I find the Herr Professor a man of endearing charm, but to have this happen to him. The antechamber was a sort of study-come-reference library. The walls completely covered in books of heavy binding. Obviously, learned tomes ready to be used by members of the society requiring items for reference. Sprawling in a large armchair was the lifeless body of the German delegate. It did not require any training in medicine to appreciate the fact that he'd been poisoned. The blue tinge around his lips and nostrils, the slight bubbles of froth at each end of his mouth told the tale all too clearly. On a small table near the body was a half-filled jug and a glass containing a minute amount of liquid. Oh, I assume the glass fell from his hand as he collapsed. Yes, Inspector, but there remained sufficient liquid for laboratory analysis. Good. And the jug... If you say that you poured the water from the yeah, just jug... Just a minute, Inspector. Smell this jug. Huh? Hmm. There's no smell of almonds or any other kind of acid. Now, smell this glass. Mm -hmm. It's not almonds. That's extraordinary smell. It's almost like stale cabbage. Yes, Inspector Carr. That's how we describe the smell of parasite. It's ten times deadlier than cyanide. Now, do you see why I'm apprehensive for my reputation? Honestly, Wilson, no one's going to... Uh, just you a minute, sir. Tell me about the parasite. Well, it was discovered during the early part of the war. Professor Coble at Oxford discovered that, uh, given the right amount of humidity, one could produce from the fungus an acid which, when mixed with a certain agent, produced what we now know as parasite. It was used to poison wells by our special agents acting behind the lines. 
<laughs> Many a poor blight has swallowed the capsule rather than fall into the hands of the Gestapo. You say that the professor was giving his lecture, paused to get a drink of water. Oh, but you did it for him. Hmm? You picked up the jug and the glass, poured the water into the glass. It must have contained a minute spot of parasite. You didn't see it. Inspector, except for its smell, which one would hardly notice in the midst of a lecture, a parasite is completely colorless. Uh, and so the $64 question is, who put the parasite in the glass, when, and why? I don't know how you do it. I just don't know. Hmm? Do what? Well, cook the meals you do on your housekeeping budget. Oh, when you're a housewife, you learn all the tricks. Like today, I bought a big supply of fresh shortening. Mmm, it's good. I know lots of girls who don't have to budget, but they won't use anything but pret. Well, what do you use it for? Almost everything. Roasting, baking, and, of course, pastry. Pret is the shortening for pastry, you know. Well, darling, I think you're a wonderful cook. Thank you. My mother was a great cook, too. My mother's a better cook than your mother. Nobody can cook as good as my mom. When it comes to cooking, mothers go down in history. And when it comes to pastry, tender golden roasts, light crispy fries, pret shortening stands alone among women who care. My mother cooks with pret. There was little more I could do at the august building that housed the Royal Society. Having arranged for the corpse to be removed to the police mortuary so that our own surgeons could examine it, and the jug and glass to be sent to our forensic laboratories, I returned to Scotland Yard. By then, it was almost lunchtime, with the midday racing editions containing news of Schultz's death. Read all about it. Royal Society delegates drop dead. Sudden death of German professor. Read all about it. Yeah. Oh, hello, Inspector. Hello. Some professor collapses. You'd call these scientists would know how to live forever, wouldn't you? A problem that has escaped man since time immemorial. Blimey, Inspector. You are being a bit... Royal society would you say? It does get infections. Well, what's that, infections? Oh, never mind. I, I'm thinking of poison. Inspector, you want to know who manufactures parricide and where? That's right, Ops. Get through to X branch. Right, sir. Schultz lived at Stuttgart. Get through to the commandant there. We'd be grateful for any discreet inquiries he could make. Any enemies, that sort of thing. Right, sir. I also want to know from immigration how often Professor Schultz visited the United Kingdom, whether the immigration form gives references. In fact, I want as clear a picture as I can possibly get of Schultz's activities and contacts over the last ten years. Right, sir. My compliments to X-Branch. If they don't come up with something pretty soon, it means getting to work on the background of 75 eminent scientists from 48 different countries. Blimey, sir. Say that again. Get weaving. Very good, sir. Oh, uh, are you Mr. Matthews? Uh, yes, that's right, sir. Uh, you, you wanted to see me? Yes, do come in. Sit down. Uh, yes, thank you, sir. Don't be nervous. No one's going to eat you. Uh, you've heard that one of the speakers died this morning? Uh, yes, yes, I did, sir. 
Your uh, caretaker come staff superintendent, aren't you? Yes, sir, that's right. I, I say to it that the cleaners do their work properly. The attendants are right now, and when the Royal Society is open for lectures, you know, that sort of thing, sir. I gather. Now, Mr. Matthews, your evidence is vitally important. Uh, well, I can understand that, sir. Poor bloke being murdered away from his home. Frankly, I'm trying to crack this case before the press get hold of the full facts. An incident like this can create all sorts of international frictions. Now, someone put poison in that glass. What I want from you is a complete timetable. When the glasses are taken from their storage place, who washes them? Who got hold of the jug, the lot? I see, sir. Yes, no, better I still, can... I think... I'd better go over there, and I'd like you to get the staff on parade. I want everyone to go through the motions of their activities this morning. Where were they? How far away were they from the Congress Hall? And most important of all, who handled the glass and the jug? Very good, sir. Uh, listen to me, everyone. Quiet, please. You know that a guest of the Royal Society collapsed and died suddenly some hours ago. We had hoped to confine our investigations within circumscribed limits so that it is not common knowledge that foul play is suspected. It is. Vital to my investigation is the knowledge of what you were all doing when this tragic incident occurred. I want to know also who handled the jug and the glass that were placed on the platform table. And so, urged on by Matthews, the staff mined their actions earlier that day. It seemed that one man handled the glass containing the deadly poison. Now, you say, Buckley, that you took the glass and the jug from that cupboard, walked over to the sink, washed and dried them, half-filled the jug with water, placed it on that silver tray, carried it to the Congress Hall, and placed it on the table. Is that right? Yes, sir, that's right. And you say that you're sure that the tray was placed on the table at a quarter to nine? I'm sure of it, sir, yes. You see, I was due to start cleaning the West Wing at nine o'clock, and I looked at my watch and said, Blimey, I'd better get a move on if I want a cup of char first. And you never came back to the Congress Hall? No, sir, I never. Thank you. Sir. Well, thank you, Mr. Matthews. I think that's about all. I must check these timetables against the times given me by the President. You say, Professor Wilson, that the Congress commenced at nine o'clock? Yes, that is so. I'm now convinced that the glass was tampered with at the Congress Hall. Who was the first to arrive at the hall? Well, let me see. I was... Oh, no, no. Marchbanks. He's already on the platform when I got there. What time did you get there? I'd say about five to nine. Did you touch the glass or the jug at all before you opened the proceedings, I mean? No, I just made sure it was there. I didn't want another altercation with the worthy professor. What do you mean? Oh, he was rather Teutonic in his reminder at the cocktail party. Oh, Wiedersehen, Professor Wilson. Here's your coat, sir. Ah, uh, danke schön. Uh, good night, Professor. We'll see you in the morning. Ah, uh, yeah, my lecture. The condition of my mouth when I speak it gets very dry. Uh, please make sure there's fresh water. My dear professor, there's always fresh water on the conference table. Is there not, Matthews? Always, sir. I see. And you say that Professor Marchbanks was already at the hall when you arrived? Yes, he was. Oh, uh, Mr. President, 
Uh, don't you think we ought to be, Inspector? Oh, no, not a bit. Uh, just the man I wanted to see, Professor Marchbanks. The President tells me that you were the first to arrive at the conference. Yes, I was. You saw the jug of water and glass on the table? Yes, I did. Did you touch the glass? I'm afraid so. I moved a little further towards the center, handier for the speaker. I took it off the tray. I see. I'm sorry, but Then I... it must have been yours. There are three distinct fingerprints, one rather smudged. That makes four in all. Buckley, who put the tray there. Yourself, who moved the glass. Professor Wilson, who picked up both glass and jug to pour the water. And, of course, the unfortunate Schultz, who drank from the glass... So that makes four suspects. One didn't have to handle the glass to doctor it. Thank you, gentlemen. I trust that neither of you will be leaving London for the time being. I'm almost certain to want to question you again. Carp? Operations here, Inspector. Yes? Rather negative about the late Professor Schultz, sir. Oh? Hasn't visited this country for 12 years. Stayed at Trumpington near Cambridge while he was attending a course at Queen's College. That's not going to help as much, is it? Well, I'll be... Beg your pardon, sir. I'm sorry, Ops. I was indulging in a little self-castigation. I'm a blind, stupid nitwit. Well, sir... Now, you'd better not say anything or I'll have you up before the disciplinary board. Matthews. Peter Matthews. Employed by the Royal Society. I want to know everything and anything about him and as quickly as you can. Uh, Very good, sir. It had to be. There was no other reasonable explanation. For the rest of the day, I went through the motions, pursuing my investigation, checking on all the delegates, the staff, receiving reports from ex-branch. Yet deep down in my heart was knowledge that the answer to the mystery of who killed Professor Gustav Schultz could be supplied by one man. Well? Uh, Peter Matthews. That's the man. What do you say, sir? I'm sorry. Well, what have you got? Uh, Peter Matthews. Employed before the war as a trainee scaffolding engineer. Conscripted in the army in 1941, taken prisoner in 1943. Released by American forces in 1945. Not enough, Ops, not half enough. Where did he serve in the army? Where was he taken prisoner? And by the same token, where was Professor Schultz during those years? Because I want motive, man, motive. It had to be. It was beyond all credence that men such as Professors Marshbanks and Wilson would plot and execute a murder in the august precincts of the Royal Society. It had to be Matthews. It was. Carp? I'll get in now, sir. Come on, up with the ops. What have you got? Uh, Peter Matthews, posted to the Rifle Brigade, March the 4th, 1941. Yes. Transferred to special services on January the 10th, 1943. Mm. Worked behind the enemy lines. Was captured in October the same year. And Schultz? Uh, uh, Matthews was a prisoner in the Frowley camp where the commandant was Schultz. That's it. That ties it up. Thank you, Ops. Tell X Branch they've done a good job. Ah, Professor Wilson. Tell me, Professor, what do you know about Matthews? Matthews? Hmm. I wasn't president in those days, of course, but I was on the appointments committee. The authorities had difficulty in finding situations for some of our poor lads who had been tortured during their imprisonment. I remember when I first met Matthews, a youth with the face of an old man. He had been trained to work in structural engineering... 
After his experiences in Frolig, uh, there was little he could do other than what he's doing now. But surely you don't suspect... It's more than suspicion, Professor. It's fact. But do you know what that man went through? He went through the agonies of hell and never once betrayed the whereabouts of his comrades. You know he was decorated by the king. His torturer was Schultz. If he didn't do the actual torturing, he was in command. There's no point in denying it, is there, Inspector? You figured it all out, chapter and verse. All those years I kept that poison, a capsule a third of an inch long and a sixth of an inch wide, and I knew that one day that that powder side would help me settle a score with that swine. Matthews, I'm sorry for you, but you've no right to take the law into your own hands. I'm arresting you for the premeditated murder. All right, murder. Inspector. You needn't finish it. I plead guilty. <laughs> what is there for me to live for anyway? When they got me back to Blighty, they, they told me I couldn't hope to live the life of any normal man, you know, have a wife and kids and... Matthews, is there anyone you'd like me to telephone? Anything I can get you before I take you down to the cells? Would you please just tell Professor Wilson I'm sorry and I wouldn't have let anyone else be charged. I really wouldn't have, Inspector. I'm convinced of that, old chap. You, you got on to me pretty quickly. You helped me. Me? How? Well, you see, Matthews, well, listeners, how did Matthews give himself away? Not sure? Listen to the commercial, and I'll be back to tell you. What are you thinking about? Oh, I was just thinking about the week we spent in that dilapidated old beach shack and the fun sandwiches you concocted. You had a thing about yum-yum peanut butter, which you mixed with... Um... Crisp bacon, my yum-yum special. Mmm, it was great. And then there was the honey. I must say... Honey and yum-yum taste very good. It's good, healthy eating. Hey, what are you thinking about now? Just thinking a yum-yum sandwich would taste very nice right now. Smooth, creamy, yum-yum peanut butter. Memorable because it's the peanut butter that remains creamy. From the first pat to the last bit right at the bottom of the jar. No wonder little boys, and dads too, enjoy scooping it out by the fingerful. Mmm, yum yum. This is nice. Hey, Mom, there's a four cent off special offer right now at all the shops on yum yum peanut butter. All right, you little blighter. Off you go to sleep. Well, listeners, what was it that pointed to Matthews as the culprit? Simple, really. If you remember, there was a complete conspiracy of silence between myself and the two professors. No one else knew that the man had been murdered. And yet Matthews said to me, Poor bloke, being murdered away from his home. How did he know unless he was the murderer? That statement coupled with... Here's your coat, sir. Dr. Shirt. Good night, Professor. See you in the morning. Ah, uh, yeah, my lecture... It's the condition of my mouth when I speak. It gets very dry. Please make sure there is fresh water. As soon as Matthews set eyes on the commandant of the camp who failed to recognize him, he was determined on revenge. They made his life as comfortable as they could in prison, but the ill health that dogged him took its toll, and he died in prison hospital. And the moral of the story, if you're a member of the Gestapo, don't go torturing your prisoner. He'll only get acid. Good night. The 
Epic Casebook was produced by Michael Silver for the makers of Epic Pure Sunflower Oil, Maple Margarine, Yum Yum Peanut Butter, and Niblet's Cheese Twists, with Hugh Ross as Inspector Carr. Listen again next Thursday night at 9.30 to another exciting story from our Epic Casebook. That's Case Closed for this week. There's more from Sherlock Holmes, the epic casebook, Case Closed, and everything else Relic Radio at the website, relicradio.com. All of that is made possible by your support. You can help out while you're there. Click on that donate button or one of those links. Thanks to those who have. Thanks for joining me this week. Talk to you again next Wednesday with another hour of Case Closed. Thank you.